0: Happy Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Recording Day, Gi.
1: Happy Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Recording Day to you, Kelly.
0: Ah, the festivus for the rest of us. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that didn't, that uh, was not what I was expecting your response to be. Anyway, (laughs) um, you know what else gets a celebration for me that probably shouldn't? No. Receiving mail. Really? Yes. I love getting mail.
1: Physical correspondence.
0: Physical correspondence. Anything. Pretty much anything that has my name on it, I'm just excited to see and I'll open it.
1: Direct mail?
0: Uh, Even direct mail.
1: Have you received a glitter bomb before?
0: No, but I want to.
1: Oh, uh-oh. You just invited a world of hurt upon yourself.
0: Nobody knows where I live. <laughs> Actually, the internet does. The internet knows where I live. Just, you know, just um, go look
1: at Kelly up online. <laughs> Send her a glitter bomb. She really wants glitter bombs. I'm sure Aaron's really going to appreciate this.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. My my husband, people. He would die if we got (laughs) glitter all over. Yeah. He's he's a very clean person, so he would not appreciate that. Anyway, there's a movie I want to ask you about. Oh. Have you ever seen the movie The Lake House? Nope. It is with Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. And it is a magical mailbox movie that time travels and sends love letters through time in this mailbox. I've never actually seen it. I just watched the preview and went, huh, that looks like a real stinker.
1: It sounds original. I mean, <laughs> what are the, what's the likelihood that we're able to travel through time via a mailbox?
0: Just letters, though.
1: Just letters. They couldn't actually. Did everybody ever try to climb in?
0: Uh, I don't. I don't know. Like I said, I didn't see the movie. I and assume the scientists
1: never tried to expand. Yep, the mailbox. I assume
0: they tried to climb in. I am just going to go ahead and say, yep. Sandra Bullock was like sticking her head in, trying to get into the mailbox to get back in time to Keanu Reeves.
1: What was the length of time between the two participants?
0: again, never saw the movie. I have no idea. This is great. This is a really great info. Hey guys, if you've seen The Lake House, you're screaming at your podcast right now, trying to say, you know, all of the, all of the things, because it's probably your favorite movie, everyone in the world, I assume.
1: Fortunately, most people <laughs> that were listening have now tuned out.
0: Ugh. Okay. So Gee, why are we talking about bail?
1: cuz it's the lunch hour legal marketing mailbag episode
0: mailbag. mailbag ooh i like that we both had our own versions of singing that that was pretty great we haven't sung in up episodes recently enough
1: so did we get any mail
0: we did. We got some mail. We got some questions from people. And I'm really excited. I think there are some that are going to make you happy to answer, some that I'm super excited to answer. And then we actually have a few questions that our listeners should be asking. So really excited to get into it. All right. Let's get started with our mailbag. Money makes a woke go It
2: makes a round. Money makes a woke go Welcome to Lunch Hour Legal Marketing with your hosts, Key Sokolakis and Kelly Street, teaching you how to promote, market, and make fat stacks for your legal practice here on Legal Talk Network.
0: Key, before we answer our first question, I want to talk about NEXA, formerly known as AnswerOne. It's a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. All righty, let's handle our first question. What is it?
1: Our first question is... What is a good LinkedIn strategy for small law firms with a limited budget?
0: Hmm. Well, we did talk about LinkedIn on one of our previous episodes. Let's go back and let's see. That was our episode on personal branding from Dr. Natalia, the LinkedIn unicorn. But I know beyond branding and using LinkedIn, we also have some thoughts about how you can just post things and write messages and that sort of thing. So, Key, why don't you talk about your theory on using LinkedIn?
1: Well, just like everything else we talk about with marketing, we always start with the, I don't know what you would call this, but I guess maxim of know your audience. Who is your audience? Is your audience on LinkedIn? And who are they? And what are they doing there? What do they want to see there? If your audience is there, so here's some example audiences, Hey, uh, other lawyers might be there. Other business people are there. And the big thing with LinkedIn that distinguishes LinkedIn from everywhere else is LinkedIn has business intent. Meaning, people are there to talk business, to learn businessy stuff. And so, if you're if you're making connections with people for referral purposes or professional networking purposes, then I think LinkedIn is a good place to spend some time. But you know, that's my with a lot of these questions. I know we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but uh, a lot of these questions. The first question is: is whether you even need to have a LinkedIn strategy for your law firm, right? Uh, not everybody does, uh, but for those that are trying to build connections and stay top of mind with people that might be able to refer them business, LinkedIn's great. And so then, what do you do? Well, uh, one, and just like I talk about on a lot of other social platforms. Focus more on engagement than broadcast. What do I mean by that? Instead of just posting a link to your latest blog post, why not actually respond to somebody else's post? Why not comment on somebody else's article or whatever it is? Because starting those conversations, I think one of the things that's not intuitive to people is that other people read the post and the comment threads And so, if you add intelligent conversation there, it's going to improve your reputation, knowledge, skill, experience, recognition, and in a way that people are going to be a lot more receptive to it than if you're just posting you know, check out my latest blog post. So that's that's my kind of first general thing is engagement. Um, I think the other thing too, that just like everywhere else we talk about on social media, LinkedIn has video. And so uh, video content with business tips, business suggestions, especially as they pertain to your practice area, really, really effective. And of course, make sure that you're using captions on those videos because a lot of people are, you know, they might see you show up in the feed but they're kind of just skimming around and they're probably going to watch your video in silence, but your captions will come up so they can actually follow along with what you're saying.
0: Yes, and writing articles on LinkedIn can be really helpful as well. And those, because they're native to LinkedIn, those might be a better option than just sharing a blog post. Um, the key with articles is that you cannot write them as a business. You can only write them as an individual person and then share it on your, say, if you're trying to share it on your law firm business, then then you would want to share it there. But uh, it's really great, especially if you're a solo or a small, and you're trying Trying to, or even if you're, um, if you're a lawyer in a personal injury firm who has to do your own rainmaking, you can write those articles and kind of create your own persona and have people reach out specifically to you to get your own clients by differentiating yourself potentially from the law firm and writing articles about the kinds of cases that you like to handle and particular situations that you've dealt with.
1: Yeah, I think the the thing, the big one that. LinkedIn does particularly well is this idea of social proof. So they have the mutual connections feature and then also they have a recommendations feature. And so when someone reads something that you wrote on LinkedIn and then they want to learn more about you, it's going to be much more powerful if you share connections that they know, like, and trust. And if you're getting recommendations from mutual connections. So Uh, finding ways to have people that are well-connected in your community, whether it's your local community or whether it's your practice community. And then, uh, you know, obviously you've got to develop a relationship and reputation with those people, but then finding ways to motivate them to go and leave a recommendation on LinkedIn and connect on LinkedIn. Uh, I think those are some of the more overlooked ways that LinkedIn really works. You know, I think when people think LinkedIn strategy, they think, oh yeah, download the app, add my picture, make a professional picture, focus on my uh, profile. And like, those things are all kind of table stakes. Like the real power of these platforms is the connectivity aspect. And so the more that you can connect with people, you know, one, with just the basic connection, but two, having people that are actually engaging with what you're writing or publishing um, or even, you know, using a recommendation, That's really when you start to see LinkedIn provide more value than just another feed to read.
0: Yeah. and Because I think LinkedIn, at least for me, can sometimes have a bad reputation of doing really poor sales outreach. And just like with every other social media that you use as an attorney... You want to provide value instead of asking for things all the time. And so, what is it that you're bringing to the table? What is it that you're giving people instead of, ooh, what can I get out of this? And obviously, you want to have you want to have goals for all of the things that you're doing for your marketing activities. And your end goal can be to make connections and um, potentially to get referrals. But you've got to go into it of thinking, who can I connect with that makes sense for me to connect with on here? And what value can I provide to them?
1: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, a lot of this, these networks, it's more about staying in touch, right? It's, yeah. uh, it's like, hey, you know, LinkedIn, if people enter their birthdays, just like Facebook, tells you when their birthday is. So, hey, stop taking a minute and saying happy birthday or, um, you know, if someone wrote that they just had... Uh, great success on a case, like wishing them congratulations, that stuff is a much better way, one, to actually connect with people because it's more human. uh, And more people, when they see that you're not just there to pitch them on your free consultation or to talk about uh, topics that they're not interested in, they're going to be more engaging with the things that you post because they can tell that you're there to actually build relationships and not just pitch and you know, in-mail them to death or set up automated posts. You know, that's another one. You know, we're kind of talking about some of the things you shouldn't do. You know what drives me nuts? It's (laughs) true in the uh, email ones too. When like five attorneys from the same firm all just obviously have the same automated post running. I'm like, I know you're not even here. Like, what's the (laughs) point of this? This is literally just a bot that's firing off this post periodically. And it's all the same one across yeah. four different attorneys at the same firm.
0: At least change what you have written about the post. Don't just share the post itself. Say, hey, here's a quote for me in this or my right. coworker, whatever, wrote this great post.
1: Right. No, it'll literally be like a crash statistic. It'll be like, there were 100 crashes last month in this place. And like all five lawyers just happened to say it at the same time at the same firm. Like, come on.
0: It's magic.
1: not not good not i don't think a what i wouldn't suggest doing that personally
0: yes i would concur um oh one last thing to touch on um at least for me with linkedin is um talking about the limited budget and then thinking about advertising or boosting your posts i think you can do some of that in my experience, I have found that LinkedIn advertising tends to be a little bit more expensive for what you get than the other platforms um, that you can go with. Depending on what your keywords are for PPC, of course, for Google Ads, but um, can tend to be a little expensive. And if you don't have the targeting really narrowed down, and um, if you're if you're going after, say, you're an IP lawyer that might be an acceptable place to do advertising. But if you're trying to target potential referral sources, I would try to stick with making connections rather than doing the advertising route.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing for me too is is that, you know, the same thing we talk about with like Facebook. If your mindset is, I'm going to do a LinkedIn lead generation campaign for a free consultation for, you know, after a car accident or something... I think you're going to struggle. Uh, on the other hand, if you are boosting content on LinkedIn to a you know hyper targeted audience on subject matter that they're actually interested in, so you know if it's like to the, the context of like maybe you're like an intellectual uh, property lawyer that's advising startups, there's a lot of uh, audience targeting that you can put in place to make sure that you're really honing in on that, and then maybe it's like here's a, uh, you're just boosting a post or boosting an article that you wrote on LinkedIn that talks about some of the major hurdles that startup founders face when it comes to legal issues that they don't know about. And then you put some budget behind that. That's a much more effective way in terms of actually getting your message in front of the right audience. And and also, I think that's the other issue is, is that people want to measure it in this direct response mindset where it's like, Well, for every ad dollar that I spend on LinkedIn, I want to see a lead versus what if it just gets you connected to a founder at a startup so you can start nurturing that relationship. I think that you have to adjust your attribution mechanism and how you're actually measuring the effectiveness of your ad dollars because it, it might be a different goal that you're trying to accomplish than just like your traditional direct response lead generation campaign.
0: Yes. All right. Let's talk about our next question. Uh, We have been getting this a lot from different people, and that is, should I start a legal podcast? And uh, my favorite response to that is the typical lawyer response of, it depends. And also, (laughs) no. (laughs) No, I'll
1: give a better response. I'll give a different response. No, (laughs) you should not. Don't do it.
0: Gee, why is that? Why shouldn't people start a legal podcast?
1: Well, don't start a legal pod... Well, And I think there's also a question, like, maybe it's not even a legal podcast. Like, should I start a podcast at all? Um, but let's let's say what? Let's say... Let me clarify my response. Okay. Don't start a legal podcast if you don't <laughs> have anything interesting to say. If you don't like the sound of your own voice. If you don't like... Talking, if you don't have time to do it, if your sound quality is going to sound like you're recording underwater, these are all great reasons not to start a podcast.
0: Yes. Okay. So now that you know all the reasons not to start a podcast, um, the things that the big things that to pull out there that we always give people advice uh, when they are looking to start a podcast is A, Know your audience and be really clear about who it is that you're trying to target and whether or not that audience is, just like with LinkedIn, whether or not that audience is listening to podcasts or cares about them. Second, obviously, Guy mentioned already sound quality. And um, we, I think, both would highly recommend not, unless you really want to spend hours learning how to be a sound engineer yourself, uh, highly recommend finding an editor that you can work with to pay to do your episodes and getting the proper equipment as well. It's a big piece.
1: Yeah. And and I know we're going to hit this again, but I just can't (laughs) help myself because I'm a glutton for punishment. But this is not a great question to ask. Should I start a legal podcast? Who knows? I have no idea. No idea if you should. But uh, I'll tell you something that you might try in advance to before you actually go through the effort of starting a legal podcast. Go be a guest on somebody else's podcast because, one, built an audience. Two, you don't have to... Usually, you don't have to like uh, get all the gear and technology. The podcast host will handle the recording and the editing. And then you can actually get feedback from people and say, hey, how did I sound? Did this sound like a subject matter that might be interesting to other people? Like you can actually test into the podcast before going through all the trouble of starting one. And you know, I think everybody recognizes there's no shortage of podcasts these days. And so podcast hosts need guests. So if you wanna be a guest on a podcast or if you're thinking about starting a podcast, go be a guest first and then find out if it's something that you're even like doing because, you know, there's a performance aspect to podcasting. And if that's not your cup of tea, there's you know, similar to video, then, you know, just because some marketing person told you, oh, you got to start a podcast, because everybody's doing podcasts. Like that's terrible advice.
0: Yes. Yes. And the timing. I mean, time is such a big factor for this because I, you know, I subscribe to 25 plus podcasts. Wow. And when I know, I'm kind of a, speaking of glutton, I'm kind of a glutton for podcasts. And I don't listen to every episode of all of them. But when I subscribe to a podcast and I really get into it or I like it, I want that podcast to keep going. And so you have to think about the time commitment. It's such a huge thing. For lunch hour legal marketing, luckily, all I have to do for this is a little bit of guest outreach and then uh, recording the episodes. And they're just monthly. But for Clienting, the other podcasts that Guy and I do... I do everything for that except editing. And so it's roughly um, five plus hours per episode that I spend and that's not even editing. So if you're going to be doing the editing, you could spend seven to 10 hours per episode depending on how long it is doing all of the things that it requires. And so you have to know that going in that this is going to potentially be a really big time commitment or you're going to have to pay someone to do all of the things except hosting and recording the actual podcast itself,
1: right. which
0: is a different monetary commitment. So
1: Right. And I think there's also, you know, kind of dispel another misconception. You know, I think some people think, oh, well, you know, I'll just, I'll do five podcast episodes for whatever reason. Uh, and that's not really how it works either. Right. <laughs> no. So you're, if some people like will start and say, oh, I started a podcast, but it quote unquote didn't work. And it's like, well, Number one, what were you even, how are you defining whether it worked here? Because you probably didn't think about that. And number two is, yeah, you published five episodes. So you didn't, did you really give it a shot? Anyway, I think yeah. those types of things, what do you want to accomplish with your podcast? Do you like doing it? Are you getting positive feedback from people? Is there engagement from the You know, people are, if people are leaving you reviews and emailing you questions, those types of things are good indicators, like, hey, yeah, this is a good idea, uh, and people want to hear it. like let let the audience tell you they want more from you or they want to hear certain things or let them tell you, you know what, this isn't very good, and so maybe it's not the best use of your time. I think the other thing too with uh, you know this question I kind of posed at the beginning is whether it should needs to be a legal podcast, right? So there are lawyers that do podcasts where they don't just talk law because I think that again, this is the 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 misconception a lot of lawyers have is like, okay, so I'm a divorce lawyer. And so I'm just going to talk about divorce law in my state. And it's like, is that really, is there enough there for people to be engaged with that time in time out? It might be better to talk about something that's like going on in your local community or some kind of activity or cause that you're passionate about. Have people on talking about that. I think that's the kind of stuff that one will attract a local audience, if that's who your uh, client base is. And, and two, you're going to get people that are going to gravitate towards you because they're also interested in supporting that cause or knowing more about it.
0: Yes. I think that's really smart. All right. Now that we've crushed people's podcasting dreams or not, or maybe made them feel really good about starting one because they have the answers to all those questions. Let's talk about blogging. Um, I feel a little, I have to laugh a little bit thinking about getting questions about blogs in 2019, but it's, a—I mean, there are, there are definitely people out there who are like only blog, do blogging. So the question is, should I blog? Like, should I still keep blogging? And or should I start one? So we've kind of gotten both of those. And um, one of the caveats for this is I'm trying to get more media appearances. So should I start blogging in an effort to get those appearances?
1: And again, (laughs) terrible question. (laughs) Sorry, listener who sent this question in. Um, But all of the same things we talked about with LinkedIn and all the same things we talked about with podcasting still apply. And uh, you know, what's the audience, who's the audience? And also I think that there's some, more than anything else, is the time commitment aspect to publishing. So so my thing is this, I think it's extremely valuable to most law firms' practices to publish something online. And here's why. Regardless of whether it's someone finds you from searching on a particular legal issue or entering a question that they have into a search engine, or someone talks to somebody and gets a word-of-mouth, like an old-fashioned in-person word-of-mouth referral, they go and look you up online, and they want to see what you have to say about things. This is especially true if your clients are more sophisticated legal services consumers. So they want to see... What your position is or what your experience is and so publishing in some form, I think is extremely valuable. you know LinkedIn is publishing is that a blog? well, maybe not in the historical context. I think also that's there's a big question there is like what is a blog today, right in the past, blog had a very specific meaning and function and you know approach to how the blogging community evolved. I think today it's very loose to include anything that has posts that are organized in reverse chronological order or categorized or tagged in a certain way. So, should you do, you do you like writing? Do you have time to write? Are you any good at writing? Are you good at writing to an audience that actually wants to be engaged? If, if you are or you've tried some of those things, then I think a blog can be extremely uh, valuable. But I, I think publishing of some kind is essential. And if you can't write, then I would suggest you might try a different medium like a podcast or a video. But, you know, again, it's I, this is really sad. <laughs> a lot of people don't want to read. And so unless you are really going to, you've got something very compelling to write, you might be better off thinking about doing some kind of you know, video, even if it's top of mind awareness, I'd be thinking video. Um, you know, search, if it's, trying to, if, you're, if it's an SEO play, then you've got to, you know, search engines still rely on words. So you've got to write something, um, whether that's a blog or not. I mean, I think blog is like subscribership and audience, all the same things we talk about with a podcast it just happens to be the written word instead of the spoken word. Yeah. What do you think, Kelly?
0: I mean, if I'm thinking of, I think that's a really good background on the blogging aspect and to go into the question of, I'm trying to get more media appearances, so should I start blogging? Guy, you just said about video. If you're trying to get TV appearances, then you want to have videos for things so people know what you look like, what you sound like, um, how you can speak and respond in videos to give people more confidence that you'll have the same effect when you're on the air Um, But not only that, if you're trying to get more media appearances, then you want to go the online PR route and do the help a reporter out, that sort of thing, which can be publishing blog posts. But really, it's about establishing a presence beyond just on your website for media appearances.
1: Yeah. And of course, at the risk of stating more obvious things to everybody, You've got to be writing about stuff that, you know, if it's if, if the goal is media appearances from a writing perspective, you got to think like a journalist, right? So, like, what is the journalist searching for? When they're looking for story ideas or looking for source material or sources or citations, they're going to be entering, they're going to be searching in a particular way. So, maybe they're searching on case names. Maybe they're searching on some kind of other party or some kind of, uh, maybe if it's a legislative issue, they're searching on the names of our leaders, and so if you're not writing about that stuff, you're not going to be as likely to come up in a search that a journalist is performing. Uh, and again, un- unless you're really a prolific writer uh, trying to do this on a mass scale, like if you're trying to get on like you know national news coverage, you really better have something compelling and be recognized as the expert. I think another thing to think about is, is, you know, this goes back to the audience stuff you're probably going to have a lot more success if your goal is to attract uh, media attention is to focus on local. Think about the local issues in your community, who these local reporters are, what they're already covering, you know, start building a relationship with the reporters in terms of your writing, cite their material, maybe disagree with them. You know, some of the best quote unquote legal blogging at the local level that I've seen will like respond to some kind of uh, legislative initiative that, that the lawyer thinks is bad for, you know, the local citizens. And that's the kind of stuff that builds some controversy, stand for something and writing about that stuff. It can be really effective versus if you're trying to be everything to everybody and you just want to post some, like, here's like five things to know about your rights after a car accident type stuff. Like people aren't, that's not going to get you, even if you show up in a search, it's not going to get you a lot of following or engagement.
0: Yes, absolutely. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and we'll come back in and talk about ranking in the local pack for PI lawyers. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm software, and much more. NEXA ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371, or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. All right, we're backy. Let's talk about the next question. How do I rank in the local pack for PI lawyers? I have a feeling this is going to be so exciting.
1: <laughs> well, everybody wants, everybody, this is a question I get all the time. So, uh, you know, I'm so sick of hearing it. But <laughs> uh, uh, the short answer is is that I'm going to oversimplify. So, if you're a sophisticated SEO person, you're going to be like, whatever, it's key guys full of it. But uh, local links are the dial mover. Sure. There are all sorts of things you can do to rank in the local pack. You can change your firm's name to include keywords you can uh well some of these things you probably shouldn't do so i'm not even going to name them but um you know look the starts local pack starts with the google my business listing got to complete your google my business listing get your information correct there uh but other than that and getting and sending happy clients to review you on google my business and engaging with you know putting posts on google my business and uh, making sure your your local citations are correct across the web The biggest thing that we see move it is these local links. And so that's a whole thing that we could talk about. But short version would be you know, well, I'll use some of an example from each of the previous questions we had. So if you blog at the local level and a local journalist picks up one of your posts and writes about it and links back to your posts or links back to a bio on your website for some kind of um, author credential. That's the kind of local link that we're talking about. Local news link, great. That's one way to do it. Uh, another one would be maybe you have a podcast that talks about your local community. And in that podcast, you're mentioning something, I don't know, we'll talk. maybe it's high school sports It's big in your community. And then the local student newspaper picks that story up. Hey, this lawyer's talking about the game last night. And they link back to the podcast that lives on your site. That's a very local link. If it's coming from, you know, a, a high school or a, a youth sports team, I think that's extremely valuable. And then LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, you can embed links right into your post. So if you post on LinkedIn, you can get a link from a LinkedIn post. I think you can still get followed links, but I'm not even—I don't even distinguish anymore between followed and no followed as much. Yes, for those that are going to hate me for saying this. Followed is probably has some more value in terms of actual algorithmic value. But I think lawyers are overly focused on domain authority and followed links and getting links from places like Forbes.com. And those links, for most lawyers, if you serve, if you're a personal injury lawyer, criminal defense lawyer, bankruptcy lawyer, family lawyer that serves your local community, focus on the local links. Don't obsess about domain authority and Forbes and Inc. and buying links and all this stuff. Do things at the local level because it's that those local signals are what Google is going to use for their prominence factor. The more that you can get to help Google understand information about your firm and that you're a leader in your space from a link perspective, that's what's going to do the best work. Follow-up question for you,
0: okay? Since I know uh, we, I know we have some clients at Attorneys Think that are national based law firms. So if we also have some listeners who have a more uh, national law firm where they're helping people from all around, how do you use that for with Google My Business? Are you doing the main office as your address and kind of focusing there? Or what's the what's the different play?
1: Great. So we got to First, we got to define what we're talking about here. So if we're talking about if you're a law firm that has a physical office location all over our state or all over the country then you should probably have a Google my business listing for each and every one of those physical locations now one of the challenges is is that a lot of lawyers will say well you know i've got 100 offices whatever it is across the country um but they don't recognize that each one of those offices from a google a local google my business or a local pack perspective is like its own little kingdom. And so they'll say, well, you know, most of our work is done out of this main office or in these other satellite offices, like there's barely anybody there. And so if you can't, the point of that I'm trying to make here is, is that you've got to market every single one of those office locations from a Google perspective to rank in the local pack. So it, yes, if you get links to your main website, and your main website has different locations pages, and you're using those in your Google My Business places, you're going to benefit from any authority that's built up to your main website. But you've still got to get reviews at each of those locations. Uh, you've still got to get, in my view, local links. So, you know, if you've got, let's just say you've got, we'll use Midwest, you've got an office in Detroit, you've got an office in Chicago, and you've got an office in Indianapolis. Well, you've got to be able to think about those local websites and local links for each of those local communities, which means you have a lot more marketing to do. So the short version is, is that if you're a national firm and you're trying to market local physical locations, you've just created a huge job for yourself in terms of ranking local packs for all these different areas. Now, there's a different approach you could do, which is we're not talking about local pack at all. We're just talking about like national awareness or trying to develop a name for yourself on you know, whether it's media appearances or you want to be the subject matter expert because you take on uh, clients all across the country, regardless of physical office location, well, guess what? Then local pack doesn't even matter to you anymore. And then you're into the more traditional notions of, uh, you know, PR, reputation, relationships. And then from an SEO perspective, yes, you're probably focused more on like those high-end media-type links, so getting links from national news organizations or getting links from, you know, government websites that are dealing with your specific uh, area of law, those are going to be a lot more uh, valuable than this idea of local. So I think it's important from a strategic perspective to distinguish between are you trying to market in a local community with a local pack because that's where Google is going to show these local pack listings, or are you trying to rank for, you know, I don't just make something up. You know, best startup intellectual property lawyer where there's no local pack results at all. It's going to be traditional results and then traditional notions of SEO come back into play.
0: Awesome. All right. Uh, let's move you on asked, to the next one. So. <laughs> I did. I did. Thank you. <laughs> <Whew>. um, <laughs> former attorney, Guy Sakalakis. Former um, attorney,
1: always a rambler.
0: Always a rambler. All right. Next question. How do I handle bad reviews? Also, sub-question, I think the review is fake because I don't know the reviewer's name. How do I handle that?
1: So reviews creates this whole, there's like a whole conversation, but let's just, uh, again, terrible question, but let's (laughs) just dive into a couple of things. Number one, at the risk of stating the obvious yet again, your ethical obligations apply online, as well as replying to reviews. So the most obvious one in this context is client confidences. And lawyers have gotten trouble because someone posts a negative review and they respond and blow a confidence and then they get a grievance filed against them. So don't do that. So how do you handle bad reviews from the top? Number one, answer your client's questions because most of these bad reviews you know what we see with bad reviews most of the time
0: what do we see
1: it says something like uh i've been trying to get a hold of this lawyer for two months to get a status update in my case and they never respond to any of my calls and they're dodging me and avoiding me and blah 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 so that's the majority of bad reviews Are there people that uh, post fake reviews? Do competitors post reviews? Does opposing counsel try to have people post reviews that are all like either quasi fake or completely fake? The answer is yes. And if you have some specific evidence that it's fake, go to the platform and try to get them to take it down the best that you can. But I'm telling you, most of the time that we see these, we, we and there are companies that actually do forensic investigation and to identify who the actual person who posted is. One, it's extremely challenging. Two, it can be extremely expensive. Three, even if you get some pretty compelling evidence that you know who this person is and it's not someone who's your client, the platforms are very difficult to work with. They're reluctant to take things down unless, unless you're willing to take them to court. It's probably going to stick, and so then the question becomes, well, what else can you do? And the answers are, you can kill them with kindness. You can say, hey, I'm really sorry you had this experience. You know, obviously, it depends on the nature of the review. If the review is, if the review is, this person didn't um, answer my call. Well, guess what? That's really on you. If it's fake, if it's, if they're like accusing you of something. You know, I'd, I'd be out there and engage them and say, "Hey, you know, we'd like to resolve the situation. Please contact me." Something like that. Now, there are some instances where the best thing to do is nothing at all, uh, because yes. you're not going to get anything. You know, when it's going to happen, if you try to respond to their review, they're going to go take out a domain of your name and optimize it for all sorts of nasty things, like you know, dot com, and they're going to write all this stuff so that every time someone searches for your name, they see this whole story, and so you get the Streisand effect where you've brought all this attention unwanted attention to yourself. So, reviews are tough. Bad reviews are going to happen. Most of the this is one of the top issues that comes up in most of the legal communities that I'm associated with online and the usually the best solution is is to focus on fixing your client service process number 1 so that your real clients aren't posting negative things about you. When they do be empathetic and it might just be as simple as saying, Hey, I'm really sorry you had this experience. Please contact me. Let's try to resolve this. In some cases, that makes sense. And if you can look, if it's blatant, like, you know, something threatening or something that's like, uh, you know, that you can really justify trying to get it taken down, then pursue those options. Try to contact the platform. But most of the time, that's not going to be a very effective use. And and again, most of the time, these are actually reviews. Now, you know, if you can find another lawyer, because the other other big one, there's another uh, whole aspect to this is that, you know, it's ugly out there. Like there are lawyers that will go and have people post negative things about their competition. But if you can connect those dots. Like you need to hold those lawyers accountable in my view. Like you've got to start thinking about taking action with the bar, but you've got to have something to go to the bar with to say, uh, Hey, I have evidence that this lawyer is doing that. And that's very challenging to do.
0: Yes. All right. My thoughts on this. Number yep. one, go back and listen to our episode with Jason Brown. Um, he talks about review fraud and talks about how um, it is It is actually mostly people posting fake reviews for the positive for themselves um, to try to you know, use reviews to get up in the local pack or that sort of thing and talks about companies using fake reviews. So there's that. The second thing is I agree with everything that Gee said about how to respond to the fake reviews. And the last point I wanted to make is that while you do need to have a good customer service process and make sure that all of those ducks are in a row, remember that you are in a very highly emotionally charged field. And um, typically, at least most, most people are coming to lawyers when they have a problem that they need solving, when there's a significant life event. And so you need to just have the understanding that people you know are more likely to be upset if the outcome isn't exactly what they're expecting and so not only setting client expectations but also just realize that if someone is upset you know understand where they were at when they came to you and respond accordingly like you said respond with empathy but also just know that it might happen where you get negative reviews and so don't freak out about it
1: <laughs> right. I mean the the, the and the uh, the other side of this coin is is that find ways to motivate your other clients to go say good things about you so yes. that you know you got 10 reviews and you've got nine outstanding reviews and one bad one. Most consumers understand that you can't please all the people all the time and depending on what the reviews, you know, if the review says this lawyer stole money from me, then those nine reviews aren't going to set it off, but if it's if the review is hey, you know, I've been trying to get a hot contact, this lawyer, and you respond with, hey, I'm really so sorry that you had this experience. I really want to work with you to try to fix it. The next people who see that are going to say, hey, look, you know what? This didn't work out for this person. But, you know, there's nine other people here that have had a great experience, glowing reviews. And so it's, you know, not the end of the world, as Kelly mentioned.
0: Yes. Book a session with your therapist before you respond to a a bad review. Right.
1: Take some (laughs) breaths.
0: (laughs) All right, those are the questions that we got from people, and we actually have a couple of questions that we want to ask our audience. And um, the first one of these is is really from Guy. Um, but it's something that I think we uh, we see a lot, we deal with, and it's in relation to some of the questions that we got earlier. And at the risk of offending any- anyone. It's why is everyone asking bad questions? So what this really means for us is when you are asking other lawyers for referrals of services, when you're asking, um, you know, specialized people like like digital marketing uh, companies for uh, what, so, you know, how do I do this? Or should I use LinkedIn? There has to be some sort of clarifiers there of what are your end goals Uh, What are you trying to use? What is your budget? You know, all of these other things that you have to ask before you just go ahead and ask some sort of a blanket question. Because asking other lawyers or asking your digital marketing agency, so should I get on Instagram? Not a great question to ask.
1: Right. I I mean, and maybe I'm just crabby because I get (laughs) crabby from time to time. Maybe I need some more coffee or something. That's (laughs) true. And maybe uh, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm sympathetic because... I know some of this stuff can be confusing. None of the major platforms offer really good support. Everybody's out there as an expert on all this stuff. And so, you know, people want to know, like, should I be doing this? Is it worth my time? And unfortunately, the most of the time, the people that they're asking that question of have no idea what their practice is like. Um, or they have some kind of financial incentive to tell them something that helps them um, monetarily. And so, you know, get the one that you mentioned this, who should I use? Like we get this is posed all the time. Like, who should I use for PPC? Who should I use for SEO? And the answer is no one has any idea. Like they can say, hey, I had a good experience with this, this person. I know like and trust this person or this agency. And that's good. That's a good starting point. But you've got to dig deeper than that and ask questions about, uh, you know, how you define success, what your actual marketing goals are, what your marketing budget is, um, you know, who your target audience is, where do you see your firm in five years? What are you really trying to accomplish? Like, because the once you start this from this first, like, who should I use? And you try, and then it doesn't work because you didn't ask any of those other questions. And then you conclude, well, the internet doesn't work. And it's like, okay. And, I, and I'm, like I said, I'm very sympathetic to that issue, but there has to be some accountability uh, on the people asking the questions to spend some time learning because that's the only cure For this, should I do this or should I use these people? Surface level questions that that are that usually leads you to uh, at least being burned by some platform or some agency or some marketing strategy once. So, you know, I don't. There, we we write about this all the time. Of like, you know, how do you define success? What are the things you're building your contract? I mean, you can search for, you know whatever agency name and reviews and contracts and terms, and you'll see people writing about this stuff. But you got to dig a little deeper. Um, You're not going to, you can't post into a Facebook group and say, should I do this? And a bunch of lawyers respond to you, many of whom have not even done it for themselves successfully, and then think, okay, now I've solved my growth Plan for the next year because I set up an account on Instagram and then next year you're going to say I tried Instagram last year and it didn't work.
0: Yeah, um, and at the risk of this turning into a uh, legal <laughs> digital marketing agency gripe session, um, the other question that um, that really gets me just because I, you know, I I have trouble with the motivation behind this question is who's the cheapest digital marketing agency for lawyers and. You know, it's it's like why I understand having limited marketing budgets. I absolutely do. But think about why, what kind of ROI and what kind of company you're going to be working with for someone to just raise their hand and say, oh, we're the cheapest. You know, we offer... Uh, you know, discount prices, or we yet we use a a Russian team that does all of our link building for us. You know, you've you've got to weigh the cost benefit there.
1: Well, and I I challenge anyone out there, agency people included, if you're if you're looking for the cheapest, go shop GoDaddy's SEO and SEM services because I don't think that anybody can beat them on price.
0: Nine ninety nine a month. I think it's right? even less
1: than that, isn't it? Might um, even be I cheaper think, than that.
0: I think they upped it to 9.99 oh, a month. I think okay. it used to be 5.99. I
1: think I used to say 5.99. Okay, I'm going to go yeah. write, write a new post on that.
0: Yeah, so there you go. That's the that's the cheapest option out there people is GoDaddy for uh 9.99. Um we'll have to fact check that and put that in the show notes, but That was my crabbiness,
1: um, <laughs> crabbiness question. Yeah. Thanks for yes. bearing with me.
0: You're welcome. So, last but not least, are there? You mentioned some questions you should ask when you're hiring a marketing firm. Are there any questions that you that we missed there that you think people ask a lot or should ask and and don't?
1: Well, I mean, my my big things are: uh, are you working with my competition? You're working with other lawyers in my area yes. that do the same thing that I do. Especially if it's local marketing, uh, it seems very uh, conflict of interesty to have, be working with the, uh, one marketing firm handling all of the major X practices in a particular city. So I'd, I'd ask that question. Um, I'd ask a lot about how you're gonna define success and what timeframes it's gonna take, right? So a lot of companies will do the, well, you gotta get into a three-year contract. And it's like, okay, well, what's happening between the day I sign? How, what are the milestones here of success? What are the deliverables? How can I expect to communicate with you uh, who are the people that will be working on my account? Do you have experience working with a, a law firm that's similarly situated like me? Can I see examples of some of the other marketing activities that you've done for some of these firms and what the purpose was? Um, you know, the list list goes on and on. Yeah. From an SEO perspective, Google puts out information about questions you should be asking um, your agency. And so uh, I think those are a good place to go to. But, um, you know, ex- yes. the experience, I think finding people that uh, colleagues... Do know, like, and trust is a good starting point, but you've got to dig deeper. You've really got to get into what the terms of the agreement are going to be, whether they're working with competitors, what are the specific things, uh, they're going to be doing. You know, there's no black boxes. There's no proprietary, this and proprietary that, uh, oh, that's a big one. Will I own my accounts? Will I own my data? Um, I think those are all very important questions to know the answer to.
0: Yes. And, um, also, when you talked about time frame, n- not only for contracts, but also when you can expect to see results, I think it's really important to um, have a little bit of cynicism when someone says that I can have you ranking number one in, you know, within a month for X, Y, and Z, um, or even just we'll have you blanket statement, we'll have you ranking number one within 30 days uh, because. SEO does sometimes take more time and maybe you have a great base already going, um, but you want to ask more questions there and say, okay, how are, how are you able to do this? What keywords are you talking about? Do those actually matter for my practice area?
1: Yeah. And maybe they do get you, you know, maybe they do all sorts of craziness and get you to rank, but how long is that going to last, right? I mean, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I, you know, in monitoring search results over the last 11 years in major markets. There are a lot of those players that, you know, in 2008, 2009, were all over the place for very competitive terms. You can't find them in the search results anymore.
0: Yikes. So many questions. So, so many, many mailbags. So many questions so to ask. Answers.
1: And keep asking yeah. questions. If you have more questions for us, we'd love to know. We want to know. I, you know, we love mailbag. Kelly loves mail and glitter <laughs> bombs. I love bags. Yeah. Just kidding. I don't really have any feelings about bags, but I was trying to connect mailbag.
0: Yeah. I like bags. Okay. I'm kind of a minimalist. Um, sort of. I mean, sort of. Anyway, awesome. All right. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed this episode and learned a few things from what other people are asking out in the uh, digital marketing universe. And if you like this episode, please go over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating, a review. And thanks so much.
2: Money makes a